homemade bombs aimed at maiming people who were involved with modern technologies since 1978. And the FBI had been trying to track him down literally for decades. When finally, in 1995, the FBI had a break in the case when the, F when the Unabomber's manifesto entitled Industrial Society and Its Future was sent to major publications across the country and was under threat of violence, demanded to be released to the public. If the conditions were met, he promised to stop his bombings. Well, in September of 1995, that manifesto was published in the New York Times and the Washington Post. In it, the writer derides that the Industrial Revolution has been a disaster for the human race and calls for a revolution against technology. Additionally, he provided this phrase. As for the negative consequences of eliminating, eliminating industrial society, well, you can't eat your cake and have it too. To gain one thing, you have to sacrifice another. Upon seeing this phrase, you can't eat your cake and have it too, and maybe a little bit flipped around from how it's usually stated, David Kaczynski finally decided that maybe his wife was right. His brother really might be the Unabomber. And so, uh, the similarities of that phrase in Ted's writing style, his political beliefs, knowing that, convinced David that he needed to speak up. So David passed the information along with old family letters demonstrating Ted's writing style to the FBI who employed forensic linguistics and so forth to compare the manifesto to other pieces of writing that Ted had given to his family. As a result, on April 3rd, 1996, Ted Kaczynski was arrested by the FBI at his cabin deep in the woods in Montana. His own desire to be heard was his demise. As the Unabomber would say, you can't eat your cake and have it too. The statement, you cannot have your cake and eat it too, as it's usually stated, has been used by many as far back as the 1500s. And it's a statement of exclusivity, a statement illustrating the reality that there are some things that you cannot have without sacrificing something else. And here in our text in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see an illustrate, illustration of another exclusive statement. Notice verse number 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse number 10 says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. You see, here we see illustrated for us in the character of Demas another exclusive statement that you cannot change the world and love it too. You cannot change the world and love it too. You know, for quite a while here in America, we've been living in a false reality of uh, the idea that we can be a follower of Jesus and serve him without really being unusual or controver controversial or even uncomfortable. That, you know, we can kind of have a casual 
Christianity, and it'll, it's fine. And I think God, in the events that he's allowing us to live through in these moments, is waking us up to the reality that that's never been the case. But we've believed a lie. That in fact, if it doesn't cost you something in this world, it's not really following Jesus. See, God wants us to see that you can't change this world and love it too. And young people, I'm burdened. God's been working in my heart as I was even just praying about what to bring this morning. Uh, part of me was very, very much wanted to, to develop and put together a biblical theology of persecution and present that to us this morning to help us just really be prepared. Are we really ready for what may be coming in our country? Obviously, we don't want to be uh, doomsayers, but we also need to be ready and not surprised when perhaps our Christianity begins to cost us something. And the Lord didn't give me liberty to go that direction this morning, but this is definitely along the same lines in many ways here. As we look, are we really ready? Are you really prepared? Are you really willing to live a Christian life that will cost you something? See, here in our text, Demas wasn't. And so we're going to look at three aspects here of this text that help us to, to flesh out this idea that you can't change the world and love it too. I want us to see, first of all, there is a universal danger, a universal danger that we all have. It says, for Demas hath forsaken me. Now, very little is said about Demas in the New Testament but until we get to this verse, the few things that are said seem to be very positive. Uh, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, it says there, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. In other words, Demas was traveling with Paul there as well as with Luke. And Philemon chapter 1, we again see Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Here Demas is described as someone who is literally working alongside with Paul. See, here's what I want us to understand, is that Demas was just like you and me. Demas had a heart for God. He wanted to serve the Lord. He was a spiritual leader. He was out traveling with Paul. I mean, Demas was, was a spiritual guy. If he was alive today, he no doubt would be saying like we do, we want to change the world. He could likely be a student at Baptist College of Ministry. He perhaps would be out traveling with Dr. Jim on the Special Forces team or with Mr. Bosler on the college, on the Cola Clash team or, or on the summer ensemble with Mr. Van. He, he would be someone that says, I want to serve God. He has a real heart for the Lord. That's who Demas was. You see, he's not the guy that we maybe sometimes think of when we see some, you know, think of Demas. He's not the guy that everyone looks at and says, oh, yeah, that guy's probably not going to make it. He's not the guy that has, oh, man, what huge problems Demas has. I mean, that guy is such a rebel. He doesn't even want to be here. That's not who Demas was. He was a spiritual leader, traveling with the Apostle Paul. He was trusted. He was experienced. He was one of Paul's right-hand men. It's possible that perhaps his hand could have held the pen at some point that wrote some of these letters that Paul wrote. If Demas was here today, 
you would probably look at him as a spiritual leader. But he had a problem. And it seemed like a small problem at first, but it had major ramifications. You see, Demas loved this present world. And it destroyed him. Though Demas had so much going for him, he had so much positive influence in his life, he wasn't immune to the disease of worldliness. And young people, can I just point out here, you are never strong enough. You are never spiritual enough. You never love Jesus enough for it to be okay to start messing around with this world, to start loving this world. I can remember as a student uh, multiple times, but one time in particular stands out in my memory in a men's chapel on Friday, hearing Dr. Jim say, you know, all fired up, at least one of you sitting in this room today will one day curse this school. Have you ever heard Dr. Jim say that before? He was, he was just challenging us men. And uh, I remember being just struck to the heart when he said that. Because in that moment, God showed me the very real potential in my heart to be that man. And it wasn't about this school, but he was pointing out, listen, you think one day you could easily go and stand for something totally different than what you stand for today. And I remember after that meeting, grabbing a couple other guys and us getting on our knees and crying out to God and saying, oh God, don't let us be that man. Do the work in my life. Change me. Don't let me be that man. Because I didn't want to be. And the tragic thing is that one of those men I was praying with is one of those men. All of us have this potential. It's a universal danger. Anyone in this room could be a Demas. Because Demas was just like you and me. And if you think today that you're strong enough to start flirting with the world in some area, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Kirk Russell, a college football coach at Georgia Southern College, a winner of three national championships, once arranged for a couple of good old country boys to burst in on one of his regular team meetings and throw a, a hissing, writhing, six-foot-long rattlesnake onto the table in front of the squad. And, of course, the response was quite dramatic in that moment. Russell recounts, everyone screamed and scattered. I told them, when cocaine comes into a room, you're not nearly as apt to leave as when that rattlesnake comes in, but they'll both kill you. Can I say it this way? When the world begins to charm you with its comforts and pleasures, you're not nearly as apt to run as when that rattlesnake comes in, but both will kill you. 
how often it is that we think that we can handle a little of this world's philosophy over here, a little of this world's values there, a little of the latest trends, the latest styles, a little of the materials, materialistic perspective of this world, a little bit of the entertainment, and we're going to be okay. I'm telling you this morning, it will kill you. You cannot change the world and love it too. You see, that little bit of love for the Lord will lead to, number two, an unexpected downfall. Can you hear the sorrow in Paul's voice as he pens these words? For Demas. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Only Luke is with me. Listen, this is not what Timothy was expecting to hear. No, not Demas. There must be some mistake. Not, couldn't, not Demas. How did it happen? It began with a misplaced love. Like everything, it begins with a condition of our heart. Like Stephen said, of the children of Israel, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. You see, in our heart, before it ever happens externally, we can internally love this world. And some of you at this very moment, in your heart, internally, you have that misplaced love for this world. Though externally, it's not apparent. But you know. See, you've got to understand today, love is exclusive. I'm married. I have a wife. How do you think it would go over if I left the house in the morning and said, oh, honey, I love you so much. I love you with all my heart. And then went and spent the rest of the day flirting, messing around with other women. How do think my wife would respond to that? It wouldn't be a good situation, right? And rightly so. Why? Love is exclusive. I can say I love her. But if I'm loving other people, then I don't really love her. I've been reading recently, uh, studying through the book of Hosea, and that is the whole point of Isaiah, the first several chapters at least that I've gotten through. God is dealing with his people because they're supposed to love him, but they're off chasing after other gods. And they're like a wife who has gone and turned her back on her husband and is living with other lovers. And God's not putting up with it, because love is exclusive. And that's what we see in 1 John chapter number 2, when he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It can't happen. 
And here's the thing, young people. We often speak words of love when we don't truly love. You can say, oh, Jesus, I love you. But everything in our life screams, I don't love you. I love the world, actually. You cannot love God and love the world. They are antithetical. They are opposites. It's not possible to truly love both. So what became the focus here of Demas's misplaced love? You see, there was a misplaced love, but we also see an alluring world. This is not the word here when it says, having loved this present world. It's not the word cosmos that we often use and talk about this world's system that Satan has set up. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not the word that's used. This is the word I own, which is frequently translated as age. So it's, it's a broader word, though it also encompasses the narrow idea of the philosophies and attractions of this age, certainly included in it. But it's, it's a much broader term. We could literally be translated here, having loved the now age. That's what we're talking about. So this is the world over which Satan rules, okay, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. The God of this age, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, is the world that, that Christ died to save you from. Galatians 1.4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present world according to the will of God our Father. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, of this age, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. It is the world of which you are commanded, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. It's the now age, the here and now, that Satan is crafting to distract you with things that feel good in this moment so that they, you maybe forget about eternal things, the things that really matter. Demas was caught up by the allurement of that world. His love was placed on things that felt good right now rather than living for an eternal cause. On things that give immediate satisfaction at this moment, but leave you empty in the long run. So, okay, Mr. Mueller, I kind of am seeing the now age idea. He's still not super clear on what you're talking about the world. Here's a quote by V. Raymond Edmund. The world is a spirit and is expressed in things. It defies exact definition because it is, it is a spirit. The closest working definition I have found is that of John Wesley, and here he quotes, Whatever cools my affection towards Christ is the world. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman put it this way. This rule governs my life. Anything that dims my vision of Christ or takes away my taste for Bible study or cramps my prayer life or makes Christian work more difficult is wrong for me and I must, as a Christian, Turn away from it. Did you notice the one word that both of those had in common? Anything. Anything that cools my affection for Christ. Anything that hinders me 
in pursuing Jesus Christ, that is the world. Anything that calls for the here and now instead of that which is last forever is this now age. Have you ever noticed how many things even here in college seem to call for your attention? Things that you seem, just have this seemingly kind of insatiable desire. I just, I just feel, like, I feel like I need to do this. I want to do this. The things that they're, they're, they're fun for you to do is what you want to go after. Those things, even though they don't really matter for eternity, frankly, they probably won't even matter next week. There's a lot of things that call for your attention. And you look back on your day and say, what happened to all that time? There were things for the here and now that really don't matter at all. It's that's this present world calling your name. You see, the alluring world that captured Demas by the heartstrings and pulled him away from being part of changing his world was not the addictions of his age. It was not the sinful indulgences of his day. It was not the rock music. It was not the, the desire for sexual indulgence or the X-rated movie. It was more subtle than that. And it's more subtle than that for you. It's the desire for comfort here and now. For the easy life in this moment. As he traveled with Paul and no doubt saw the threats of suffering maybe even experienced a little bit. Remember, Paul is writing 2 Timothy from prison. And somewhere along the way, Demas' romanticized idea of ministering with Paul faded away. And he realized that his Christianity was going to cost him something. And Demas decided it was more than he wanted to pay. Perhaps he just wanted to be a little bit less countercultural. Maybe a little bit more intellectually acceptable. Maybe a little more comfortable in his form of Christianity. Maybe experience a few less pressures. Maybe just have a, a few of the pleasures that this world maybe offers, a little bit more easy life, and maybe not quite so much of the, the intensity of following Jesus. And so Demas, Demas pursued that love instead of pursuing the greatest love, a love for Jesus. Admiral William McRaven served as a commander of the forces that killed the terrorist Osama bin Laden. He served as a Navy SEAL for 36 years. And he was speaking in 2014 at the commencement of the University of Texas in Austin, where he was an alumni. As he spoke, he gave 10 pieces of advice to the graduates on how to change the world. And all of them are insightful, but here's a few. He began with number one, if you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Maybe I should preach there for a few moments. <laughs> or here's another one. If you want to change the world, sometimes you have to slide down the obstacle head first. 
Number seven, if you want to change the world, don't back down from the sharks. I would love to hear the stories with each of these points. Number nine, if you want to change the world, start singing when you're up to your neck in mud. But the final lesson he presented to them was, if you want to change the world, don't ever, ever ring the bell. He went on to explain this 10th admonition that in SEAL training, there's a bell. A brass bell that hangs in the center of the compound for all the students to see. And all you have to do to quit is ring that bell. Ring the bell. And you no longer have to wake up at 5 o'clock. Ring the bell. And you no longer have to be in the freezing cold swims. Just ring the bell. And you no longer have to do the runs, the obstacle course, the PT. Just ring that bell and you no longer have to endure any of the hardships of training. All you have to do is ring the bell and you can get out. If you want to change the world, don't ever, ever ring the bell. But ring the bell is exactly what Demas did. We've seen a misplaced love, an alluring world, but now we see a forsaken cause. For Demas hath forsaken me. Now that word forsaken is not just the idea that he left. It's a lot stronger than that. It's not just how he decided to go home. It's the idea of he abandoned me. He left us in a lurch. Literally, there was, there was a part of this cause, something, a spot that he was there to fill, and he deserted it. And so now there's an empty hole left. Something that God had for him to do that now was not being accomplished. He left the cause behind. He abandoned the cause. And listen, friends, where your heart is will come out. Today, that love in your heart for the world instead of love for Jesus, one day it will come out in your actions. I can guarantee it if you don't deal with it. Oh, it may take time, but it will come out because attitudes of the heart always lead to actions of the will every time. Listen, either you will change the world or the world will change you. I could give you story after story after story of people I know and love who instead of changing the world have been changed by this world. And there's no reason you will be any different if you decide to love this world. What you love will change you. When the pressure's put on and the water starts to get hot, what you really love will be obvious for all the world to see. When you go home on break, when you graduate, when the pressures of real life, <laughs> this is pretty real here too, but when that starts to get put on and you're forced to make a choice, what you truly love will become readily apparent. Listen, friends, when persecution comes to our nation and the choice of where your allegiance lies affects Literally, your very life, like it does in most many countries of our, of our world. It's going to be obvious what you really love. 
Can I put it this way? If your Christianity costs you nothing today, you likely won't stand when it costs you more tomorrow. In other words, if you won't identify with Jesus and speak a word of witness today when really the most you could get is a refusal or an unkind word, why do you think that you're going to speak for Jesus tomorrow or down the road when you could get thrown in jail just for speaking a word of witness? When you don't think it's worth it to show up for a prayer meeting today, when you can freely do it, why would you do it tomorrow when you could get arrested for showing up at a meeting like that? See, if your Christianity costs you nothing today, it's not likely going to cost you. You won't stand when it costs you more tomorrow. When you don't have love in your heart for Jesus that makes you willing to sacrifice for him today, maybe in a smaller way, then you're going to be like the disciples and run when it costs you more. You're going to be like Demas here who abandoned the cause. Now notice here, it doesn't say that Demas forsook the Lord. That's not what it says. So he's not saying Demas has gone off the deep end. Demas, I'm wondering if he ever was even really saved. That's not what it's saying. It says Demas has forsaken me. He forsook Paul. He forsook a, life of, a lifestyle of living sold out to the cause. Could I say this? He forsook a life of fruitfulness. Like we see in Mark chapter 4, where the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. See a forsaken cause in Demas. What, what could have happened with Demas's life? What was God wanting to do that never happened? Because Demas abandoned the cause. Because he loved this world instead of loving his Lord. There's a universal danger. All of us, any one of us, can do exactly what Demas did. There's an unexpected downfall. Oh, it couldn't have been Demas, but it was. But then notice here, number three, an untold deliverance. You see, we don't know the end of Demas's story. As far as we know, Demas never... Never got back on track. We don't know the end of his story. But right here in our text, we see the key turning point in another story that is not unlike Demas' story. We see a deliverance that, apart from these few words, would otherwise be untold. And frankly, we don't know a lot about it, but we see that it's there. We don't know what happened to Demas after his desertion, but we know what happened to this man. Look at verse number 11. Only Luke is with me. 
Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Do you know who Mark is? Mark was a deserter, just like Demas. We read about it in Acts 15, and Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them, from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. And in fact, the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. Listen, we don't know for sure what it was that caused John Mark to leave from traveling with Paul and Barnabas. We don't know exactly what it was, but it seems to be something similar to why Demas left. Paul's response seems to indicate that, that, listen, he just left us. This was just too much for him. Why would we have him come with us again? He's going to do the same thing. Mark was a deserter just like Demas. But here we see something remarkable, that Mark now, the one that Paul had said, no way, he is not coming with us. In fact, so sharp was that that conflict between them said, no, all right, fine, Barnabas, you're going to go, we're going to, we're going to separate ways here and split, split this team up and start two different teams because I just, I, I can't bring him, I can't trust him. Now we see something totally different. Paul is saying to this, about this same individual, bring him with you when you come because he is profitable, he is useful, he is serviceable. That's the idea. He, he's worth having around. We don't know what Barnabas did. He's called the son of consolation, an exhorter, an encourager, a, a discipler, really. He did something in his discipleship of John Mark. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know this. That John Mark found deliverance from his desertion. That by the power of God at work in his life, the stranglehold of comfortable here and now living was broken. And Mark found freedom from his love for this world. And young people, you can too. Yes, we all have the potential to do what Demas did. We all have the same alluring world trying to grab our attention and pull us away from the cause that God has called us to. But we can be, every one of you, like John Mark, who says no. Yeah, maybe, maybe I have been pulled away before, but I'm, I'm done with that. By the grace of God, I'm going to love Jesus regardless of the cost. He says, bring him with me to where? To the prison. To the prison in Rome where Paul is expecting, I'm going to get, I'm going to get killed sometime soon. Uh, Nero's not happy with me. He said, bring, bring John Mark. Because he's worth having around. He's profitable. Listen, Mark was a deserter, but he became profitable for the ministry. And can I tell you this? Mark changed the world. Look in your Bible. The Gospel of Mark was written by this man. And to this day, God is using the words he penned. Not only that, church history tells us that Mark was used of God to plant multiple churches in Alexandria, Egypt. That in fact, 
Uh, he preached with great fervor and passion. And at the age of 55, he was boldly confronting pagan worship and there in that area. And he was, when he was ruthlessly seized by a mob who tied him with ropes to the back of a chariot and literally dragged him to pieces, ending his earthly life. So that's pretty rough. He decided it was worth the cost. He decided that he loved Jesus enough to pay that price. The one who was a deserter now is giving everything for the cause. Listen, do you want to change the world? I know many of you in this room well. I know that's your heart. You want to be used by God. You want to reach a, a region of the world. You want to, you want to make an impact in, in a specific in a state or in a country, whatever it is. You want to be used by God. Listen, if you want to reach the world, then stop loving it. Stop living for the comforts and the pleasures that this world offers. Listen, you need to fling aside the allurements of this world and wholly embrace the cost of living for Jesus. And I'm telling you, young people, in your lifetime, it is going to cost you something to be a bold follower of Jesus. Listen, you cannot change the world and love it too. So today, you have a choice. Wherever you're at, you have a choice. Either change this world or love it. Either be a catalyst for revival in this world or enjoy the comforts of this world. The comforts of this world are enticing. I'm not talking about the sinful things even. I'm talking about just living a comfortable lifestyle, a comfortable American lifestyle. But listen, friend, you can't live for that and change the world. It's one or the other. You cannot change the world and love it too. So which will it be? Let's bow for prayer. Before I pray, I want to just ask a couple of simple questions. Where is your love today? Are you in love with Jesus? Or the now age, this present world, the comforts of this life? Are you willing for your Christianity to cost you everything. If you say yes, what is it costing you today? Are you thinking about ringing the bell? I don't know what that looks like in your life. But I know often when difficulties come, when the pressure of 
transformation is on our life, we can, we can be tempted to ring the bell. I'm not sure how God's spoken to your heart this morning, but I trust as God is working in your life, you'll respond, Lord, would you make clear the decision that needs to be made this morning? And Lord, we are asking for your grace to truly love you with all of our hearts and to turn our backs on this age and live for something far greater. Lord, would you help us now to respond to you and 